is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. It is ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra, and we are here with you on a Thursday, Thursday tea. I don't know about you. But you know, it's just something feels different about this show today. I think we we are we are we are moving towards the weekend, and, and I think you can just feel it. I can just feel it deep down in my soul. Okay. <laughs> She's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, let's go with that. Um, yeah, we want to first of all, I want to just say thank you all for uh, um, making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. We really appreciate you for that, and also we want to let you know that we are free and available. Wherever you download your podcast, um, and when you go to download your podcast and check out us, you know, Monday through Friday, we know you listen to every last episode. Make sure you give us a five star review, we would really appreciate that. If you don't, I'm gonna snap on you like Jimbo Fisher did Nick Saban. So, um, yeah, coming up on the show today, we got a lot of good stuff on board. Um, everybody's trying to make all this hoopla about Marcus Mariota being a, a mentor. Man, Desmond Ritter trying to be QB1. We'll discuss that. And also, the Atlanta Braves. We talked about the moves that they need to make. Yeah. I think we got a, a, a quick snapshot last night or yesterday afternoon of what moves need to be made. And mm-hmm. last but not least, and for the culture, ABC has pulled a Adam Schefter. We'll explain all of that. And now, T., I think one of the things that, like I said, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. a lot of people have made a lot of issues or asked a lot of questions about Marcus Mariota being a, you know, a, um, being a, a mentor to Desmond Ritter. But I think Desmond Ritter may have a little bit more in mind as far as how he comes, he's coming into this organization. And I think that might not be mentee. I think it might be QB1. Yeah, and Marcus Mariota has an idea that he wants to mentor him over the next two years of his two-year contract. Right, kind of yeah, I want to be around for the next couple years. But yeah, Desmond Ritter's <laughs> like, nah, not two years, bro. Maybe two weeks, possibly two months into the season. But no, it's, it's not going to be a two-year thing. It's not even going to be a one-year thing. But I admire Marcus Mariota because from all the things that we've heard about him versus, say, Ryan Tannehill, Right. From all things we've heard about him, this speaks to his character and it speaks to the type of character in a person that you would expect Arthur Smith to bring on board with the right. thought of possibly getting a, a new QB, a rookie, whether it's this year in the draft like it was or whether it would have been next year. And so I think, you know, first of all, Desmond Ritter is in a good situation. We've spoken with him and we know that he appreciates being in that situation versus maybe what we're, we're seeing going on a little bit there over in uh, Tennessee. But, right. Yeah, yeah, may, maybe um, what we're seeing there is not so much but uh, with Malik Willis. But I think in this situation, great for you to think that, Marcus Mariota, but you better also think about yourself as not just mentor, but competitor for QB1 because that guy you're mentoring is definitely coming for you. As much as he said he respects you and as much as now he's been in the room working out with you and the other veter- veter- veterans, excuse me, he's also made it clear that he's coming for your gig. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's what people have to remember when they start thinking about, oh, yeah, Marcus Mariota, he's this old nice guy. He's going to be a mentor, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, no, nah, man, that man trying to be QB1 as well. So I think we have to understand what this is. This is a competition. This is a, you know, for these guys are competing against each other. Like, you know, like you said, when, when Ritter, you know, I asked him about that. He said he, he respects Marcus Mariota, and, but at the end of the day, these guys are competing, even the um, – uh, quarterback coach Charles London has has said that he thinks that Mark Mariota is the perfect type of guy because he can separate the two, right? He can yeah. be a mentor, and then he can also be you know that guy that hey, I'm going to be the starting quarterback for this team, and I was brought here for a reason. So I, I think that you know this is something that we definitely gonna have to keep an eye on. Uh, another thing that the, the Falcons want you to keep an eye on is the fact that. See, they bringing out these red helmets. Now, they haven't worn these things since 2012. So, mm -hmm. they the red helmets with the black falcon, and then they got the gold trim going coming the top of the, side of the helmet. Like, I don't know about you. That thing kind of got me a little excited. I was like, man, that's some yeah. dope color scheme. So, yeah, I think the Falcons made the right decision by going ahead and doing this. Oh, no question. And we always love a good throwback. And if you've been watching the team or in the case of the fan base, supporting the team back from the old even NFC West days, back when they yeah. were in the division as the 49ers. It's the 49ers. Yeah, yeah you, you know, they play on the 49ers. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you recognize this helmet and hopefully it takes you back to some decent days uh, for the Falcons. But man, let me tell you, to me, this is as exciting as the uniform reveals because Uniforms, the uniform reveal was fire too now. So right, yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. kind of liking yeah. this. And I cannot wait until week six to see them roll it out. And shout out to AJ Terrell because, haha, nice hype video he did with that that uh, helmet. But yeah, good look. Good look, Bell. Yeah, I think it's fitting that they pick somebody that's from Atlanta, man. Yeah. You know, he know yeah. how to get down yeah. the swag, yeah. all that good yeah. stuff. So, yeah, speaking of swag, how about we uh, take a little trip down to College Park? Yeah. You know, Atlanta Dream get their get their thing on and get a win against the Minnesota Lynx, eighty four to seventy six. You know, um, Jessica, I mean, Kayla McBride out here hooping, dropped twenty points on them last night. T, your thoughts on on the Dream still? You know, still chugging right along. Yeah, it was definitely a competitive game start to finish. But again, when you are talking about five players in double figures, you're talking about Ryan Howard, obviously rookie of the month. So she came through Hope. and did better than her average, 16.9 points for the month of May, but came up with 22 points, four rebounds, couple steals, just an all-around good game for her. And you know I always love to talk about two-way play. So really Indeed. excited about what we saw out of her. But also, like we said, five players in double figures, including Christy Wallace. The Aussie is doing some things, right? So yeah. 18 points, a career high for her. And then, of course, Erica Wheeler. Good to have Monique Billings back. Erin McDonald had a good game. So what we're seeing is Tanisha Wright really getting those girls to understand, getting those ladies to understand the importance of getting it done at both ends of the court. And check this out, Jarvis. They have improved to a 6-3 and three record, and we are only nine games into a 35-game season. It took them all season to get eight wins last year. So what she's been able to accomplish already has been impressive, and you just absolutely love to see what they're doing on the south side. 
Looks like they and they will be back at it on Friday. I'm trying to make an appearance to you. I'm trying to convince my wife. You know, she be a little bougie on me. You know what I'm saying? College Park. I don't know about it. It's at night. You know, do I need a strap? Jarvis bring the strap. You know, but we'll we'll talk about all that later. Yeah. But I'm trying. I'm trying to get my wife to come on down to you. <laughs> no doubt about it. We're gonna love. You know, um, the NBA Finals. You know, yeah. they are, it's going yeah. down tonight. Yeah. Golden State Warriors, Boston Celtics. T, I'm just going to ask you straight out. Who you got? Warriors. Warriors. I'm giving it Warriors yeah. and Six would not be shocked if it was Ooh, Warriors six. and Seven. Because, okay. Yeah, I'm giving them because people don't give enough credit to what the Celtics have been able to do. Yes. And, and the funny thing is these teams are a little bit more evenly matched than maybe people realize when they start looking yes. at and, you know, you and I talked about this. It's not just about a backcourt in the traditional sense, right, where you're looking at a point guard and a shooting guard because both of those teams have five players who can legit bring the ball up the court. Both of those players teams have multiple players who can actually create shots for themselves. And, yes, the Warriors had the number one offense in the postseason by a mile by, like, averaging five points better than each team. And you know what made me sad, though, when I looked back at the stats and I said, ooh, the Hawks actually were leaders in offense in the regular season by a mile themselves. But yep. the mm -hmm. reason and the difference between the Hawks and the Warriors is that other side of it, side because low-key, yep. it's the Dubs defense. You know, they're right behind the Celtics in terms of every statistical category and then overall defense. That's another thing people don't give them credit for. But then on the Celtics side, Jarvis, people don't give them credit four of these conference finals in these last six years and finally getting over the hump. You don't do that if you're a one-dimensional team on defense. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are ready from an offense pers offensive perspective, and I just really think this is going to be an exciting series. I don't expect, because you know how mad that may be these last two weeks, I don't expect six blowouts by any stretch of the imagination. We might get a blowout here. Somebody might go to sleep there, but this this series, oh yeah, Jarvis, I am here for it and excited also for Al Horford to finally have gotten over that hump and make an appearance Lord. in the NBA Finals. So we've got reasons, Jalen Brown, Wheeler Pack uh, product, we got reasons to watch both sides of that that court and see what's what. I'm taking the Warriors as well, T, and like you said, there are a lot of people kind of felt in some type of way when I tweeted out, hey, Al I feel good for Al Horford. I, like I said, I'm not rooting for the doggone man, but I'm just saying, I'm like, I like the fact that he was finally over 100 games played in the playoffs. He finally got to the NBA Finals. Like, that is a dope feeling. So I think we already know he's going to be ready to go um, tonight against the Golden State Warriors. But like I said, I like the Warriors in seven. I think it's going to go seven games because you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm with you on the on the Warriors pick, but I think it's going to go just one more game. We hope you stick around for one more segment because um, we got a player that I believe for the Atlanta Braves has played his way into the lineup and he should stay there. We'll talk about who that is next on ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and T, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to ATL Day Ones. I'm Tanitra. This is Jarvis, and we appreciate you guys for coming back for segment number two. We're going to do a deep dive into the Braves. And as always, we appreciate you guys for stopping by each and every day, whether you do it on YouTube, where you subscribe to our channel, you give us a like, and you follow us, and everybody else on the Lockdown Sports Atlanta Network, or you join us 
wherever you get your podcast. And when you do, whichever platform that is, make sure you leave us a five-star review. We appreciate it. And you know what, Jarvis? We have to give a five-star review to the Braves effort in the series yes. finale of the Diamondbacks on Wednesday. You said it. I loved it. I thought it was such a nice euphemistic way to put it. So I'm just going to give you credit for saying the Braves are undefeated in June. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Ain't no lie for that thing. We can tell the truth around here. <laughs> give them credit for being undefeated in June. Darn it. But right. they had a, and, and a nice way to kick off the, the month of June, if you will, a 6 nothing win. Third shut out of the season. They avoid the series sweep. They avoid losing three straight. So just a lot of positive takeaways from that game and so many good things that happen on all sides of the ball. So that's where we want to start. It's like what you saw last night was exciting, but what was really that spark for you? What said to you, man, that guy of all the guys I saw last night, and even if we look at it from the darker days of the two games before that, but of all the guys I saw last night, this guy, man, he gave a spark. No doubt about it. And it has to be William Contreras. Like you're talking about a guy that just, you know, when you, when you think about the type of play, the way he's been playing all season, right? Like he's batting 302 on the season. He has seven home runs. And I think he's probably in the top five as far as catchers in hitting home runs. So it, it's just, he's just been playing so well when he's gotten the opportunity to, to get in there and play. And I know that, no, he's the backup catcher. Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand that. But I think Snicker is at the has reached the point where he has to make a decision on how to get this man in the lineup every yes. day. Yes. I don't care if it's left field. I right. don't care if it's uh you know uh at the DH position. I know they mm -hmm. don't want to put Ozuna out there in left field. I get that. I understand that, but right. You have to figure out a way to get this dude in the lineup. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? If you're asking me who would I rather have, you know, in the lineup, Ozuna in left field or 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 um, uh, Adam Duvall in left field, mm -hmm. it's Ozuna. <laughs> because I know what I know what Ozuna's been doing at the plate, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of like a yin and a yang. Okay, what would I rather have? You know, what do I need the most? Mm -hmm. Offense. Because your pitching, your pitching staff is is been solid. They've been solid. They've been mm -hmm. giving you good innings. And you know, Kyle Wright went six innings um yesterday. So yeah. he yeah. he was able to get that quality start. So all of those things come into play when you start making these decisions, right? Because mm -hmm. we we even talked about like, okay, if I make the decision, this is gonna happen. But right. I think that at the end of the day, when you talk about bottom line results mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. what's been going on when this dude is in the lineup, meaning yeah. William Contreras, right. like good things have happened. And I think yeah. that Snit has to figure out a way to get this dude every day on, on, in the lineup or with his back coming to the plate. Yeah. You, you really love, and I love that pick because when you think about Contreras, he has to figure it out. I mean, he only has 19 games this season and so right. having that type of OPS and having home runs at that clip that's pretty dang impressive and yes that is an absolute spark so like you said whether you put him in left field when he's not catching or mm -hmm. whatever it is that you have to figure out or if you want to put Heredia in left field because you're worried about Marcel Ozuna being out there I mean there are options and and you saw Brian Sticker be creative with the lineup even last night and you saw Ozuna Riley and Contre Contreras combining for seven hits. And you saw, you know, Riley gets the home run, 
run. Contreras gets a couple doubles, and you really kind of see Contreras and how he's able to get that spark. And it was actually, it was funny because I was like, wait a minute, is that a Guillermo Heredia sighting? So let's just be honest, there are opportunities there, right? Mm -hmm. To maybe take some people and put them in some places, some players in some places, just to see, just to see if it's going to work. Because at this point, with you still about 10 games behind the Mets, it's coming down to the wire where you really have to start deciding who's going to help and who's not going to help and what are the creative pieces in the lineup that you can do right now unless and until you put somebody in that space. But the spark for me as well as Michael Harris the second. I mean, just the all-around play. It was so cool to see him get his first career RBI. That was cool. Cool to see him get a double. But, my God, that diving defensive – that diving catch in the seventh, it's like unbelievable. It was just so amazing. Like, I literally had to rewind that a couple times because I was like, wow. And we had just, of course, seen him <laughs> right. lay out the same way just a couple nights ago. So, yeah, I think that for me, he's also that spark because how many times have we seen players, you, you're hoping your prospect comes up and delivers? And actually, in the Braves' case, they've had a lot of prospects to come up and deliver in these last couple of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I believe, Jarvis, arguably the pressure maybe even more so than when Acuna Jr. came up and Riley came up recently. I think there was so much pressure on Snit to bring Harris up after a while. Like, you've you got to get him up. And for him to come up and then deliver at this point, he, I think, has been a huge part of the team. But going back to what we saw last night on offense as well as on defense, it really also reminds me as well, like, okay, like you said, you got it from your starting pitching in Kyle mm-hmm. Wright. You got it from your bullpen. You got the runs that you needed. You shut them down. You shut the D-backs down on defense. But what was it last night that you saw that was more important or we'll say important or encouraging your call? Was it what you saw on offense or was it what you saw on defense? It has to be offense, right? Because that's been their biggest struggle from in my eyes, like in these in the games that they've lost, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because they played a clean game defensively. I think that yes. that's that's a yes. big piece. Don't get me wrong, that's a that's very important because but, you know, like you assume that that's going to happen, right? Because mm-hmm. these guys mm-hmm. are in a space where, you know, you just got to play like professionals to be able to get it done defensively, right? You got to be mentally locked in, you yes. know. And I think when you see these guys' bats starting to come around, you even see Dan's getting moved up to the two-hole. Yes. And, and he's just been thriving lately. Like I said, mm-hmm. I mentioned Ozuna early. Austin Riley yeah. mashing yeah, know, like oh, we know Riley. him to do. Yeah. Like, that that's that's the big piece because when those guys start playing, playing like big boppers at the plate, mm-hmm. that's when the Braves will get going. Because like you said, yeah. the pitching has been pretty consistent throughout the mm-hmm. season, right? You know, and we know once that starting, that starting rotation, it starts to get locked in with the Braves. Mm-hmm. Like now and traditionally, we yeah. know what the, what the team can do. Like once that, that starting rotation is locked in, we know what the Braves can do. So, yeah. and I, so I think that for me, it has to be offensively because – that's the that's the piece that you have to really really hone in on to try to get figure mm-hmm. figure out and like and once you get going, it yeah. just starts a wave and and I think that you know like Riley and Swanson and all those mm-hmm. and, and, and um, Ozuna those guys getting going, yeah. I think it's just a matter of them getting together and and mm-hmm. whatever it sparks it and I think you know whatever that spark is which whatever I think we talked is. about you know Contreras mm-hmm. and, and uh, Michael Harris and all mm-hmm. those guys. Mm-hmm. 
Like we know that you know they can get on a run and, and possibly do some things, and not not necessarily catch the Mets in one month, because right. like ten and a half games is ten and a half games. That's what yeah. it is. Right. But I think that you know you need to get on a streak to even have be in a conversation to mm -hmm. to be able to catch those guys in right. the second half of the season. Right. Or host the wild card game. You there know, you go. That, that could be critical as well. Just get in the dance. But if you can dictate the dance, because of course, talking basketball here, but how important was it for the Hawks, for example, to not have to do everything on the road? I mean, yeah, they got yeah. it done against the Cavaliers, but it's important for you if you can do anything to have some type of home court advantage, home field advantage, home park advantage. We know right. how important that is, especially if you're on the climb because you're not necessarily a divisional champion or a number one seed in your conference, respectively. So I would say, too, that at the end of the day, one of the things I like is the offense, because how many times have we come here and said that there was a solid outing by the pitcher, but he didn't get any run support? And yeah. so once again, that solid outing goes down in flames. But we hope not to see that tonight. Of course, the Braves kick off a four-game set versus the Rockies with Ian Anderson getting the start. We know, ooh, he had an unfortunate time the last time, got tagged for four runs right now, working with a 6.35 ERA. But hey, if the Braves give him some run support, it's all good. So when we come back for the culture, we will talk about how some folks just can't get right no matter how much prodding, assisting, supporting, and mentoring you give them. But guess what? Jarvis and I, we still going to give you some mentoring. It'll be for the culture on the other side of the break right here on ATL Day Ones. Final segment of ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Uh, we want to just say thank you for rocking with us throughout the entire show. We yeah. really, really, really do appreciate that. And I got one more request for all the people on YouTube and the people that are listening on the podcast. Hey, y'all. We're almost at like 1,500 subscribers, and we are pushing, pushing to try to get to 2,000 followers. That was a good year. I mean, subscribers, sorry, excuse me. We're trying to push to 2,000 subscribers, so we just need you to continue to like and subscribe. Now, and if you already subscribed, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. I'm, I am thanking you in advance. We are thanking you in advance right here on ATL Day Ones, but this is... For the culture, it is the intersection between sports, entertainment, and the culture. And sometimes, T, it's just whatever the hell we want to talk about this because that's just how we get down. All right, now, on the docket for today, T, like we know that there, there are times when people tweet out certain things and, mm -hmm. and they're just, you know, it's just all wrong. You know, and you don't even have to read the story in order to know that. You just look at the headline, you're like, oh, my God. So I got the unfortunate news yesterday of Marion Barbie III uh, being found dead in this um, apartment in Frisco, Texas. And you start seeing some of the people start tweeting out certain things, you know, RIP and all that stuff. And, yeah. and I remember Marion, like, he was probably one of the, my favorite running backs back in the day in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, he was just a guy that just was – a bruiser just a bruiser like so much so his name was marion the barbarian barber so you know he's he was a guy that just just really did his thing right so i came across this story and it was from abc news mm -hmm. and they put in all caps just in marion barber the third the former dallas cowboy running back who scored plenty of touchdowns without recording a thousand yard season has died the team said wednesday he was 38 
And I know people probably saying like, oh, okay, it's probably some fa a factual statement, right? But y'all remember that dude, Adam Schefter? Mm -hmm. You know, when Dwayne Haskins passed away, talking about how he floundered around and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, he's dead. You see how that just sounds like whack to me? Like, that just sounds so whack to you. It sounds whack to me. And I think that a lot of these, you know, um, these outlets just just get reckless sometimes, I feel, mm -hmm. when it comes to these players passing away. And I think it's part of a bigger issue, yes. which yeah. is – it's how these players are viewed and you know and i, I think and I'm, I'm pretty sure i want like i said i don't want to speak for you but i think i think you probably maybe feel the same way agreed agreed there are so many different levels and layers like you said to yeah. why someone thought it was appropriate because someone wrote that headline and yeah. then someone approved that headline there you go so it Two went, strikes already. Exactly. So that's what is con disconcerting. And then somebody tweeted out. So three people and nobody noticed the insensitivity of that. Yeah. So my question to them would be, if your 38-year-old brother or cousin or neighbor passed away, would you say something like, yeah, my brother who, you know, couldn't pass his, his, uh, his bar, mm -hmm. he died. Would you be okay with somebody saying that? Or, or yeah. your neighbor, hey, my neighbor who could never get that manager's position after he was with that company for 14 years, oh, he died. Yeah. Would you be okay with that if your brother, your brother, if somebody said, hey, you remember his brother who, you know, he didn't finish college, he could never finish anything that he tried to do, everything that he tried just failed, oh, he died. That's how that comes across. Exactly. It is so insensitive because you are leaning into magnifying someone's quote-unquote failure because he was still an NFL player who played for a number of years on a prominent team with a prominent franchise, right? But right. you're minimizing and focusing on his failure, his yeah. failure, especially when, okay, Jarvis, let's be real about this thing. Yeah. When you see NFL player dies at 38, the first thing you think of is that it's going to be bad. And when I say bad, mm -hmm. meaning the mental issues, the CTE issues that have come out that we have seen over and over again be behind the cause of death for these players who are dying young, which means right. that that's going to be even more of a painful piece for his family to have to deal with, right? Yep. Is exactly. that indeed the reason that we lost him in the sports world so soon. Nobody thought about all the ramifications of you reminding them of, I'm going to put it in quotes, a failure. Miss me with it. Miss yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, like, I'm so tired of having this conversation because when you think about it, it's like, you know, we feel obligated, right? Because that's like, like you know, we, we keep it real on the show. We're talking about another another brother who's who left yeah. us a little bit too early, right? You know what I mean? Like and and you know, since he stopped playing, you know, that seems like when all the people who care, you know, the majority of the people who care about, you know, him as a person and who he is, like mm -hmm. who cared about who he he was as yeah. a player while he was playing, but mm -hmm. you know, as soon as he finished playing or retired or or couldn't do it anymore, like they just like, oh, okay, we'll give up, we won't give a damn about you. We'll move on to the next player. Yeah. Who's the next guy y'all drafting? Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's who we care about now. And mm -hmm. the, to be honest with you, that's a that's a big thing mentally to deal with, right? Because yeah. Let's kind of 
take a peek into the mind of an athlete, right? You got to think about it. Like, people have been fawning all over you since the age of six, seven, some of these guys. Like, when you're talking about playing, coming from park ball on up, you've mm -hmm. been, a, you've had fans. You had people who just want to know any and everything of what you got going on. And then you bring on the social media phase too, right? You know, and everybody wants to see, always want to see what's going on with such and such. And then you get into the NFL, you finally get into the NFL, you start mm -hmm. making some generational change in type money. And yeah. then the fandom grows even bigger. And then you get to the apex of your career. Okay, cool. Everything's all good. And then next mm -hmm. thing you know, I can't run the football like I used to. I can't break tackles like I used to. And then next thing you know, you get cut. You go to another team. He went to the Chicago Bears and was there for a year. It gets cut and he just disappears. You're done. <laughs> you know, and nobody talks about you anymore. No beat writers mm -hmm. are giving you a call to see how you're doing or doing, right. you know, writing a story on you to see what you are doing post-career. So, Mm -hmm. And Barbara, obviously, Barbara had some some issues. You know, yeah. he had to be evaluated a couple of times after for for mental evaluation. He had to be mentally evaluated. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of things that you know that are going on with these guys. Like he's mm -hmm. not. It's not a case where it's an anomaly, right? Like this has been happening consistently. And I think that a guy like um, Clarence Hill. You know Clarence, you know, D. Orlando Ledbetter's homeboy, you know, yeah. those those guys part of the Omega Psi Phi fraternity and everything, they, you know how they get down. They cool as all get out. He put, he wrote a story. The headline, it was just, like, it was just the epitome of what it should be. He was like, who was Marion Barber? Yes. Who's now yeah. dead at 38. Who yes. was he? Yes. And then he got, he went into who he was, how he came up. Like how, what he did in Minnesota, where he's from, and all. I'm like, oh snap! I didn't know he was from such and such. Oh, I didn't yeah, know this was his dad. Like right. he, like he, he following his dad's footsteps, going to the University of Minnesota. Minnesota. So family members things. who are still in the yes. league, yes, oh my or god, who are, just league, who are impacted. Yeah, like that's how you do a story. That's how, that's how, you, how do. you do a story. Not go going talking about somebody's downfalls in a freaking headline, man. That's headline. Oh my god! Like, right. If you wanted to embed that way down at the bottom of the story because you just absolutely felt like you had to mention it and you felt like that was a part of the narrative that is fine but that should never be the lead narrative to the point where i feel like i want to text clarence right now my brother and just be thank like thank you brother appreciate you because yes. at least you had the humanity and the decency to follow up what abc news a national outlet could not get and this is something to where as frustrated as we are in this moment Jarvis and I also realized that we desire to, at the same token, still hold folks accountable when they don't do the right thing. So as much as we are we tired of talking about this, we're going to keep talking about it because apparently the message isn't resonating yeah. on certain mm -hmm. levels. And you just have to hope that one of these days we don't have to have that conversation. But you know what? To leave on a positive note, a conversation that we love to have and we hope that we can keep having is a combo about Coco Golf. That is yes, one sir. bad 18-year-old. The number mm -hmm. eight has punched her ticket to the French Open. She is doing amazing things at Roland Garros. Punched her ticket to the final. First 18-year-old in 21 years to do it. And she's not just doing it, Jarvis, but she's doing it big. Another straight sets win has not dropped a set so far. So you know we are rooting for our Atlanta area native to do big things. And we're going to talk about tomorrow all kinds of big things that we hope are going to be popping from this Atlanta sports scene. But in the meantime, always stop by, hang out with us first.
And then your second hangout, make sure it's A to Z with Mark Zeno. So Jarvis and I appreciate you as always for coming through. Come through tomorrow too. Y'all come back now, you hear?